Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. You know, Haya is existence of time, and it's existence of time. And God's stand up or stand down question that was in front of Abraham was, who's it going to be, Abraham? One of us is going to stand down and yield to the other. And so are you going to do it? And, so, and the instructive part of this chapter is that we see Abraham said when his well was stolen, I'm going to stand down. I'm going to stand down and see what, and, 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 and what we see happening here with Abimelech is God saying, okay, I saw Abraham stand down. I'll stand up now, and in my time, then I'll make it right, and I'll restore this wealth to Abraham. Now, God's put this history in this chapter for a purpose for us of the wealth that was stolen for our benefit, because that was a time when Abraham was wronged, and we'd been there, and there was no question about it. Abraham's well was stolen. Abraham was right. Abimelech was wrong. And we have times in our lives when we've been wronged, and there's no question about it. We've been wronged, and we're right. And the other party is wrong that did the wrong. But as he did with Abraham, God puts the same question before us in these situations, and he says to us, who's it going to be? One of us is going to stand down and yield to the other, and one of us is going to stand up. Are you going to stand down, or are you going to stand up? Because both of us are not going to stand up at the same time. So either it's you or me. God says. You decide which one of us is going to stand down. When we're wrong, if we decide to stand up, oh, it goes bad. It doesn't go good. You know, some years ago, I remember at Scanabodies, we had a Christian working for us in our construction department, and while working on a project at his home, thank God it wasn't at our company, but anyway, at his home, he needed a screwdriver to do a particular job. He was a very, very skilled craftsman. So he went to Sears in El Cajon Parkway Plaza, and he bought the Craftsman screwdriver. Why? Well, because at home, he always bought the Sears Craftsman tools because they have this guarantee that if the Craftsman tools breaks, then Sears will replace it. So he went home with, the, with this Craftsman screwdriver, and he used it, and it broke. <laughs> it broke. And boy, he was angry. He was very angry, and, and, and because he could have bought a cheap screwdriver, and it could have broke. But anyways, he bought the Craftsman one because they're not supposed to break. It's supposed to be higher quality. So when that Craftsman screwdriver broke, he felt personally wrong and cheated by Mr. Sears himself. <laughs> so he took his family, uh, his family of his wife, and a little girl, a little boy, and he, and he took them, and he, went, and he brought the whole entourage there marching back to Sears in El Cajon there, and he was going to show his family how you not let yourself be cheated. So he, got, he gets to the pool, tool department down in the basement there, and he demands that the promise is lived up to and that his, his broken craftsman screwdriver, that they replace it. The unconditional guarantee and replace the screwdriver. So the Sears person looks at the screwdriver and determines that he had used it wrongly, and he refuses to replace it. Now he's really mad. So he... <laughs> He argues with the Sears person, but the Sears person holds his ground and wouldn't replace the screwdriver, and he's so angry. He felt like Abraham. He was cheated. He was wronged. So now at that point, he, had, he was faced with God's question. All right, I know you've been wronged by Sears, but my question to you is, who's it going to be? One of us is going to stand down and yield to the other, and one is going to stand up. Are you going to do the standing down, or are you going to do the standing up? Because both of us are not going to stand up at the same time, so you decide. Okay. So, well, he decided he was going to stand up. So he had his rights. 
And so he, he said, I'll, I'll show these guys. You know, he was angry. So he went over to where those screwdrivers were, and he looked at them and thought, I have a right to a replacement screwdriver, and if they won't give it to me, I'll take it, which is what he did. So he took one of them, put it in his pocket, family all watching him doing this, and then he made like he was shopping, and then he was looking at other things, and he headed for the door without paying for the screwdriver. Well, at that point, he made his decision to stand up, and God said, fine, then I'll stand down. But God loved him too much to let him get away with it. So when he put the screwdriver in his pocket, of course, the staff was looking at him, (laughs) and they saw him do this, and they called the police. So the El Cajon police are waiting for him when he opens up the door, and as soon as he gets in the parking lot, they handcuff him in front of his family, drive him off to the El Cajon police station, and he's booked for shoplifting. So like Abraham, he felt that he had been wronged, and he had been wronged. So now none of you are going to buy Sears crafts and tools anyway. (laughs) But he was wrong. He was wronged. He was wrong by someone else. And the question before us is always, is, is like when Abraham, when he was wrong, the question before us is, all, oh, who is it going to be? Who is going to do the standing up and who's going to do the standing down? Both are not going to do it at the same time. Decide. Now, the sad part about this history is, of this Christian is that when he told to me what happened, he still felt he was right, you know, and Sears was wrong. And, and the only problem is that he got caught anyway. So this history of how Abraham let himself be wronged and wait for God to stand up and make it right, it's a lesson for us. And, and oh, that we would learn this lesson. It's not so easy. No, not easy at all. It's, it's not easy to stand down when we're wrong. Now, how do you do that? How do you stand down when you're wrong? How do you do that? Well, we do it by focusing on one word that I read to you in uh, Matthew 5.39. Where the Lord Jesus Christ said, But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek. So turn to him the other also. The word is cheek. The word is cheek. That's how we get this strength. We say, you say, cheek? Why the word cheek? Why is that important to motivate me to stand down when I'm wronged? Because when the Lord Jesus Christ said the word cheek in Matthew 5.39, when he said, whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, he was thinking of a verse that referred to his cheek in Isaiah. It spoke about his cheeks. And you might want to turn to this. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I don't ask you to turn to many scriptures in the Bible. So, you know, you shouldn't be so angry. (laughs) Isaiah 50, verse 6. All right. He says here, I gave. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who's mine adversary? Let him come near. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? They all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. See the statements, the statements here of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's being beaten before his crucifixion. He's on the way to the cross. And as he's being beaten there before the crucifixion, he says, I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. He says, I gave my cheeks. That was him saying, I decided to stand down at that moment. I know that I'm being wronged. I know that, but I'm standing down. 
And, he re- and, and how does he do it? He repeats something twice. You see it in verses 7 and 9. He says, the Lord will help me. He will help me. And what was the Lord Jesus saying, meaning when he said the Lord will help me? He was saying, I've decided to stand down now, and I know that the Lord's going to stand up for me. And that's what he meant when he said, he is near that justifieth me. Is it easy for us to stand down when we're wrong? No. Is it easy just to sit there and take it? No. Was it easy for the Lord Jesus Christ to stand down when his back was being beaten and the hairs were being pulled out of his cheeks? Was that easy for him? Not at all. That's why it, was, it says there in verse 7, Therefore have I set my face like a flint. In other words, you can see when he says, I made my face like a rock and in order to do this. It was hard for him. Now, please turn back, okay, Genesis 21, verse 25. So the important point we see here, you never turned to Isaiah in the first place. I know that, but that's all right. <laughs> I hope you turn to Genesis 21. All right, so now, important for us to see in verse 25, when it says, and Abraham reproved Abimelech, is that Abraham, Abraham had, that this was the time now. God had, he had stood down. In the beginning, God stood up, and Abimelech came. Now, who is he dealing with here? We see the response of Abimelech in verse 26. Abimelech says, I what not, who hath done this, neither didst thou tell me, neither yet heard I of it, but today. All right. So now, what, Abimelech, what, what Abraham had hoped for was better than this. Maybe he hoped for a little bit of a genuine acknowledgement, you know, it was wrong by stealing the well, uh, maybe some signs of some real repentance, maybe the words, I'm sorry, maybe I apologize, you know, or, you know, or maybe, I don't know if you can go as far as saying, I ask for forgiveness, I mean, you know, but, but what did Abraham get? Abraham got pushback. This is three pushbacks of Abimelech. First pushback, I want not who have done this. Abimelech says, I have no idea who did this thing, so I'm not at fault. And second pushback, neither does thou tell me. So Abimelech is saying to Abraham, you're the one that's at fault. It's all your fault because you never told me this. I'm not at fault. It's your fault. And the third pushback, neither yet heard I of it, but today. I know nothing. <laughs> Abimelech was saying to Abraham, until today, I haven't had any knowledge about this. I'm, it's, I'm not at fault. Now, that was Abimelech's response to Abraham. I didn't know anything about it till today. I didn't know who did this. I, and, and it's all your fault because you didn't tell me. So Abraham listens to all this, sits back. And he knows that it's very highly unlikely that Abimelech didn't know anything about this well. So Abimelech, you know, so Abraham's sitting there, he's looking at Abimelech, denying everything, and Abraham's thinking to himself, you liar? But he doesn't say it. He says, you are a liar. You're lying. I don't for a second believe you that you knew nothing about my well being stolen. All right, so now, Abraham thinking that he's dealing with a liar, we see Abraham going along, and he gives the sheep and oxen to Abimelech, as it says in verse 27. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. That was very common. At the time, made a covenant. You made an exchange for covenant. And Abraham does something very strange and unexpected in verse 28. It says, Abraham said, seven, and count them, seven, you lambs of the flock by themselves. So in addition to the sheep and the oxen, which Abraham gave to Abimelech, Abraham now gets these seven female lambs and little lambs, and he sets them by themselves. And Abimelech's watching Abraham, and getting these seven female lambs, and Abimelech is puzzled. What is he doing? 
And, and, and so what is Abraham doing? So he asks Abraham, what are you doing with these seven female lambs? And that's what verse 29 says. Abimelech said unto Abraham, what mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And so Abraham gives him an answer. Verse 30, he said, for these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. So Abraham is not happy with Abimelech's I know nothing. He doesn't like that. So he responds about the well, and he's still thinking about this. Abraham's still thinking about his stolen well. And so he takes these seven lambs, and he insists, you want a peace treaty? Then we're going to do this, and we're going to have this mutual swearing, not just me. And so Abraham says to Abimelech, you want this? Okay, then I want you to acknowledge with an oath that I dug this well. And these seven lambs taken by Abimelech are going to be something to memorialize for Abraham that Abraham is the digger of the well. He's the well digger here. He's the one who dug this well. And it's so important to Abraham that the place gets the name after these well and these seven lambs. And that's verse 31. Wherefore, he called that place Beersheba because they swear both of them. Now, the Hebrew word for well is Ba'ar, and, and the Hebrew word for seven is Sheva. It, it's, it's not Sheba. It's not the queen of Sheba here. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the Ethiopian queen of Sheba. This is Sheba, okay. And, and so literally, the place is called the well of seven. The well of seven, referring to the well and referring to these seven lambs that Abimelech took from Abraham. So at the end here, at verse 31, we read what happened in that place. Wherefore, he called the name of that place for Sheba, because there they swear both of them. They swear both of them. Now, it says they swear both of them. We saw in verse 23 that Abimelech was only asking for one swearing. That was Abraham was to swear they was going to uh, have peace with him and his son and his son says. But in verse 31, it says they swear both of them. So what did Abimelech swear about? Because it was only supposed to be Abraham. Well, it was that he acknowledged that Abraham dug the well, after all. And Abimelech, he got what he wanted from the meeting, and Abraham swore to have this peace with his son and with his son's sons, and Abraham got what he wanted, which was Abimelech swearing that the well belonged to Abraham because Abraham dug the well. And they left in verse 32. And thus they made a covenant with Beersheba. Within Abimelech rose up, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned into the land of the Philistines. So now as Abraham is watching Abimelech leave, what happens? Oh, he wells up within him with this great sense of assurance and satisfaction. Not at all. He looks at him and he thinks to himself, I don't trust that man. <laughs> I don't trust him even as far as I could throw him. And he's, anyway, but Abraham has good reason to not trust Abimelech. Because this conflict over water rights is where I saw, this is going to keep on going on. Not, and then it's going to happen, it's going to plague Abraham's family. You know, he wanted a peace treaty for his son and his son's sons. Well, Abraham's son Isaac, we're going to read in Genesis 26, 12 through 17, it's going to say that Isaac sowed in the land, he received a, in the same year a hundredfold, the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and, and went forward and grew until he became very great, that he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, great store of servants. The Philistines, that's Abimelech's people, envied him. For all the wells, all the wells, it says. It says all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. 
dirty rats. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than I. And, and, and Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. So what was going to happen is that Abimelech's servants were going to fill up all the wells with all of them, fill up all the wells with dirt. And then Abimelech's going to make nice and say, leave. And Abraham knows this, this type of person he's dealing with. He knows he's not trustworthy. He knows he's, and he's frustrated when, when, when Abimelech is leaving. So what does he do in his frustration? He does what we all do in our frustration. Goes out and plants a tree. <laughs> a whole grove of them. In verse 33, Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba. And Abraham, he, he kind of lays more hold on to this land, which after all was his. It was given to him by God. They're the intruders. That's the Palestinians all agree with that today. And it's, but notice how it's called in verse 34. Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land. That was Abraham's land. Okay, it's called Philistines' land. Many days. So again, Calling it the Philistines' land, Abraham, over the matter of who owns this land, he's content to stand, by, stand down and give God place to stand up. And he'll take, God will take the land from the Philistines and give it to Abraham's descendants very soon. It'll only take about 500 years. <laughs> but now, in verse 3, Abraham has just made a covenant with a non-trustworthy, conniving Abimelech, and Abraham is frustrated. So in his frustration, he plants a grove, and, 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 and that doesn't remove his frustration. And so what does he do, in his, in, 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 do next? In verse 33, Abraham plants his grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So Abraham calls there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The Hebrew says Abraham called on Jehovah El Olam. El Olam. In other words, Abraham, in his frustration of, this untru- of dealing with this, this terrible character, this untrusty uh, Abimelech, then he turns from Abimelech, who's disturbing him, and he turns to God, and he calls there in God's name, the everlasting God. See, after this disturbing experience with this person who lies and will change at the drop of a hat, far from trustworthiness, then Abraham retreats away from this person to prayer. And when he prays to God, he says, Olam. And by calling God Olam, he's saying that you are not like Abimelech. You will never lie. You're Olam. You are not like Abimelech. You will never change. You're Olam. You're, you're, by calling him Olam, he's saying you're, you're not like Abimelech. You're trustworthy, saying to God. By calling God Olam, Abraham is saying that unlike Abimelech, God is who we read him to be in Hebrews 13a. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we're disturbed because we, like Abraham, have to deal with the Abimelechs in our lives who are not trustworthy and they don't honor commitments, they don't honor promises, they don't honor contracts, that's the time for us to follow Abraham and go to prayer and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as El Olam, as, as an everlasting God. And Olam is a, it, it has a meaning, of course, we see as everlasting. It's used many places in Psalm 86, 12. It says, I'll praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I'll glorify thy name forevermore, Olam. But there's an interesting side to the meaning of Olam. Olam comes from a Hebrew word, which is alam. And it means to hide, like with a veil. And it, it, it's where the face is hidden. And, and it, in fact, it's, it's, it's translated hid in uh, Isaiah 54, 8, where, it's, where God says, in a little while have I hid my face, alam, hid my face from thee for a moment, with everlasting kindness I'll have mercy. 
Alam is translated as secret in Psalm 90, verse 8, where it says, Thus hast thou set our iniquities before, before us, our secret sins. We don't want people to see these things, know about them. We will alam them in, in the light of thy conduct. So olam has embedded in it the meaning hidden from view. So when Abraham calls on the name of God as El Olam, he's calling on God who is hidden from view. See, the hidden from view meaning of Olam is what's expressed in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.14, where it says, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Why? Because God is Olam. He's hidden from view. See, in Isaiah 53, 1, the first part of that verse says, who has believed our report? Who believes this? Who believes, what report? Who believes that he was wounded for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, 5? Who believes that he was bruised for our iniquities? Who believes that, that the punishment for our peace was upon him? Who believes that by his stripes we are healed? My, my, my brother says to me, I can't believe someone died for me. Why? Because God is Olam because he's hidden from view. But because God is olam, hidden from view, when we see God in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's because God has revealed him to us. And that's the second part of the verse in Isaiah 53.1. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And if God is olam and he's hidden from view, then, when, then why are we able to see God in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's explained to us by, in Romans 5.15 where it says, but not as the offense, so also the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man. Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. That word abounded is so rich in Romans 5.15. It has the sense of one grace after another. Grace upon grace. And you stand and, and you, it's, like, it's like when you go down to La Jolla Beach and you stand there and you watch the waves. And you look out and you see this one wave beginning to form and the water's rushing out to fill it. And you watch as this wave grows bigger and bigger and it, you see it as it crests and then with a mighty crash it comes down and there's foam and there's mist and you're watching that. And then at the same time, the water's retreating back and another one's forming and it, and it comes at a crash again. And what is it? Wave upon wave. And those waves are abounding. Wave upon wave. And that's a picture of the grace of God. It's abounding. One after the other. And, that's a, and so who gets this grace? We saw it last week. Jeremiah 29, 13. Anybody who comes with the heart that when you shall seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. All of it. And every time we butt up against unbelief of the lost, it's because God is Olam. And every, he's hidden from view. And the fact that we can see him is the grace of God, abounding grace upon grace, like the waves. And that's how the grace of God is described as breaking through the darkness. And it says in Titus 2.11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That word appeared means a bright, shining light that pierces through. It's the word epiphany. That's what it means. And so Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3 says, Arise, shine, thy light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And Gentiles, 
speaking to the Jewish people. Gentiles shall come to thy light. Shame on you. And kings to the brightness of thy rising. So El Olam in verse 33, this is the third great name that God has revealed to Abraham. What we have seen in the past is that when Abraham was, was disturbed by another disturbing character, the king of Sodom, who also looked very powerful, Abraham turned to God and he said in Genesis 14, 22, Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high, El Elyon, the possessor, the creator of heaven and earth. And then when we've seen how God appeared to Abraham and made his promise to him, God revealed another name to him in Genesis 17, 1. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am almighty God, El Shaddai, walk before me, be thou perfect. And what we see here is Abraham, when he's confronted with this disturbing character of Abimelech, who's not trustworthy, he turns to God and he said, not like Abimelech, you are El Olam, God the everlasting. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that you are the everlasting. Thank you for your abounding grace, which has, Lord, revealed yourself to us. Though you be hidden, yet, Lord, you've opened our eyes so that we can see you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing us, doing for all this for us who are so undeserving, but that's why grace is for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.